currency, money, and trade. Intersubjective, objective, and subjective reality. So understanding these, these multiple concepts that I just threw out. So for example, money, currency. It's truly at its core, you know, if, if you go back to the very roots of money, before that it was trading. So, you know, 10 apples equals one pair of shoes or two clay pots equals four barrels of maize, you know, basically different exchange rates. And money basically consolidated all these different exchange rates, you know, if it, basically in, in those times where there was no currency, it was strictly off trade, they specifically had to use these different exchange rates. And and in order to be a master trader, you would have to memorize all these thousands of exchange rates. And money basically makes it so much easier because it's it's one intersubjective reality. So an intersubjective reality is, you know, money, cars, transportation, all these different types of things that basically it's, it's only a reality because a giant group of people believe in it. So it's the same with religion. You know, if there was no, um, uh, let's say, you know, Scientology, for example, if, if there weren't all the members of Scientology, would that really be a reality or would that just be, you know, it could be something of fiction. You know, L. Ron Hubbard, for example, wrote, he's the founder of Scientology, kind of wrote, uh, you know, fiction books and horrible books and uh, stories. You know, he would actually get paid per word on some of his, uh, some of the science fiction novels and uh, they were absolutely terrible. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, some people think what you want about Scientology. I don't really think it's good or bad. It's probably a little bit more bad than good, but you can kind of take the best and leave the rest. You know, obviously some of the principles they teach aren't all evil because people like Tom Cruise, a lot of top performing um, actors and athletes actually use some of their, their frameworks. It's the same with somebody like Tony Robbins. You know, it's it's this intersubjective reality when you're in a, uh, you know, a giant conference or a giant um, center where you're all kind of feeling the same thing, you're all listening to the same thing, and it's only an intersubjective reality because as a group, that's how you perceive it. Some things that are actually objective realities, so, you know, being an objective observer is, you know, if you could kind of take a third-person perspective on the world and go, okay, all these people believe all these things, and what are the things that are actually true? Well, the seasons, nature gravity, all these different things that, you know, doesn't matter what you think about them, really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you think it's real, think it's, it doesn't matter if you think gravity is real, or think it's does, not real, you know, at the end of the day, you can't jump and just keep floating into the sky. And it, it's, it's very interesting when you kind of analyze all these things from these three different perspectives, you know, intersubjective, objective, and then subjective is just, you know, it's the same thing as intersubjective, but it's one person. So, for example, you know, if your niece or nephew has an imaginary friend, that's a subjective reality for them. Or if you believe that you're, um, you know, let's say you have body dysmorphia, and when you look in the mirror, you're actually, like, to other people, objectively, you would be in shape, fit, you know, healthy. But to you, you know, you might you might have an eating disorder because you see yourself as this, you know, there's body dysmorphia is kind of a disorder where basically you see yourself not as you truly are. So that's a subjective reality for you. And it's the same with the imaginary friend. It's it's the same with a lot of things, you know, beliefs that we hold about other people are typically subjective realities. Maybe they're inner subjective realities. You know, a lot of people believe that, uh, 
you know, Donald Trump's the devil or Hillary Clinton's the devil or, you know, all these different people they, they hate or they love. It's, it's very polarizing. And these are just intersubjective realities. These are things that we, we have came to believe through, through group think, which, which is usually not a good way of thinking because what, when you get into group thinking, you, you have this combination of confirmation bias and feedback loops. And the issue there is, you know, basically social media is the epitome of confirmation bias and feedback loops because basically they're feeding you, the algorithm feeds you what you want to see, things that will make you further engage. And it's, it's not showing you the opposing side. So smart people, what they do is they actually seek out the other, the opposing argument, learn as much as they can about that side. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you guys have ever taken one of those master classes online, he teaches one. And one thing that he says, which was very interesting and it was a good takeaway is, you know, in interviews, people ask him all the time about what he's reading. You know, what books are you reading, Neil? And, you know, they, they a lot of times think it's astrophysics, um, you know, all these different things like particle bending, all these different things, studying the atom. But usually when he, when he answers, it'll be things like, you know, flat earth theory, UFOs, um, religion, because he's trying to basically decode and understand where those people are coming from. And, and this is very, very important, understanding the psychology behind things. It's, it's vital. Everybody needs to do this because especially in today's age, this will help you get further understanding of how people fall into these traps. For example, if, if you knew how Scientology, you know, if you, if you knew the fundamentals of Scientology or the fundamentals of what Tony Robbins teaches or the fundamentals of Buddhism or Taoism, all these different things, if you understood the fundamentals, the concept, you'd be able to see these, these intersubjective realities. So, so these things that are, that multiple people agree on, but they're so polarized to believe, you know, um, you know, Buddhism and not Catholicism or Judaism and not, um, Taoism, all these different things, or, you know, America's the best or Europe's the best, you know, all these, all these different concepts that people hold and are very polarizing are, are interesting to analyze when it comes down to actually, you know, basically reverse engineering the psychology behind it. So how do these groups of people convince these people that, you know, Buddhism is the best, which maybe it is, or Catholicism is the best, maybe it is, or maybe, uh, um, what's, uh, my mind's drawing a blank, I apologize, um, uh, they, where they don't believe in a God. I, I can't believe I can't think of that. But it's, they basically don't believe in a God. It's atheist. My apologies. So understanding, you know, if you grew up in, let's say, um, Utah, where it's a lot of Mormons, <clears throat> and, you know, you were raised around Mormons or around Quakers or around Catholics, all, it doesn't really matter. I'm just using this as an example. You, you have to realize, you know, from a third person for perspective from an objective reality, how did they be basically become indoctrinated into that? You know, if, if you grew up in those same situations with those same parents, with the same um, surroundings, would you, I'm assuming you would probably do the same thing. You know, our minds are very malleable when we're, when we're young. It's, it's insane how the plasticity, and even when we grow older. So understanding, you know, if, if you've hold these deeply held extreme ideologies, for long periods of time, analyzing them. You know, Charlie Munger says, try not to hold any extreme ideologies. And money, the reason I started this off with money, trade, and currency, because fascinating book by Yuval Noah Harari, which is Sapiens. And he talks a lot about this. You know, throughout history, we see, you know, in the beginnings, you know, places like Tasmania, all these different cultures, basically to anyone in the outside world, 
they, they they were alienated. It could have been like they were on Jupiter because they had no way of communicating, no way of understanding their way of living. It wasn't until mass travel, you know, started off with water travel with boats and ships, um, that, that they were able to actually, you know, interact with other cultures. And this is very interesting to understand because, you know, to these, for example, the, the culture in Tasmania, they, they had their own intersubjective reality. And, you know, and then each individual member had their subjective reality. And then if, you know, if let's say you believe in a God or you believe in a higher power or you don't and you just believe in, you know, science, um, you just take basically the objective view is, is that third person view. So, you know, they, they teach you that in school, you know, first person, second person, third person, and then third person um, omniscient. And it's basically like this third person omniscient character. So basically this uh, that oversees things. And, you know, you can this actually helps a lot in your life. You know, when you kind of analyze your own state, your own beliefs and your own feelings, what you can do is take this third person perspective and go, OK, why am I feeling this way? You know, what triggered this? What caused this? And what is the effect? The effect is what I'm feeling now. But analyzing what caused it is basically doing this reverse psychology. And you can apply this exact same framework of basically understanding the cause and effect of why people become indoctrinated in these extreme ideologies. And this is why I'm tying it back to Neil deGrasse Tyson, what he said about those books, is he wants to understand what are these commonly held beliefs. And for example, you know, if you understand libertarianism, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's not a giant movement, but libertarianism is basically the smallest form of government possible. So, you know, still having a structured society, but the smallest form of government possible, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept. You know, a lot of people, a lot of smart people I know are libertarians. You know, Joel Salatin is one of the, you know, one of my, I would say, um, role models. And he is a very, very strong libertarian. And the, the interesting thing about the smart people is they don't spout off their extreme ideologies. They're not the type of people that walk into a room and somebody goes, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, and they, it's an instant fight which a lot of people fall into that trap, that logical fallacy of, you know, my way or the highway. And, and this, is a, this is an extremely slippery slope because you start applying this to everything. And then everything seems like an argument where really it should just be a discussion, putting the ideas on the table. You know, that's really what politics is supposed to come down to is basically finding the best idea. It's not about these extreme ideologies. What's, what's the point of those? If you go, if you ask multiple whys deep on these extreme ideologies, you will find that they're just rooted. The person that made them up, someone that literally just collected a bunch of ideas that they thought were the best and applied them in that period of time. So Republican and Democrat doesn't matter. What matters is the best ideas, the best concepts and the best frameworks basically for society at the, at the time. And, and it's a very, very interesting you know dilemma because we, we have this in politics, we have this in religion, we have this in uh, even diets, you see, you know, people that are, I'm pure paleo, or I'm pure keto, or I'm pure um, uh, Mediterranean, or vegan, or vegetarian, or meat eater, or, you know, all these different things, and it's like, what's the best? Well, it's not really what's the best is in terms of diet, everybody's body is different. You know, if you read the, the book, The History of the Human Body, it's very interesting because based on where you grew up, um, th that can actually affect how you eat and what's different. So if you're taking advice from someone that, that's eating purely uh, keto, for example, you know, which is a very high fat protein, barely any carbs, like maybe 10 carbs a day max. 
So that means, you know, fatty meats, a little bit of lean meat, nuts, vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, um, different things like this. You know, if, if you're applying that and you didn't grow up that way, like let's say you, um, your ancestors, for example, like if you've analyzed where, where you've came from, if they didn't grow up eating those things, it most likely will not mix with your body. And it's very interesting to analyze versus, you know, let's say you grew up or your ancestors come from a Mediterranean area where they ate a lot of fish, a lot of like macadamia nuts, things of this nature, um, uh, beans, things like that. Uh, that would work a lot better with your body. And, and there's a very interesting book called The Longevity Diet. And this basically goes over the, um, you know, increasing your lifespan, basically. And it's, it's very interesting to kind of analyze and understand further how people choose their diets. You know, it's, it's usually based off just ideologies or biases. And understanding the psychology behind things is so important. And that's really why today's episode is just really stressing these intersubjective, objective, and subjective realities. And the reason this is important is because otherwise you will be blinded. Because if you, if you don't understand that these three concepts are always at play. For example, if you've gone your whole life thinking money is the way it always is. No, 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 no. It's an inner subjective reality. That you know, money. Uh, people have been all around a lot longer than money and currency has been around. You know, trade was the the form of um, of commerce for the longest time. And realizing that it it hasn't always been this way. You know, so many people are just indoctrinated just to think, you know, oh, it's always been this way, so that's the way it will always be. No, no, no. I mean, with crypto and a lot of these things, especially now with um, what's happening to inflation and the dollar with all these stimulus bills here in the United States and in other countries, um, you know, you see this with a lot of other currencies. You know, for example, the Indonesian currency, that thing got in crazy inflation. And now, you know... It's the it's, it's really ridiculous the numbers behind it, and um, which is bot. So it's the Indonesian B A B H B A H A T I think bot or B A H T. That's it's just bots. The Indonesian bots. So that's that's one currency that you can actually analyze and see that it's the inflation over time, and this is just an intersubjective reality. So if you personally believe that. Um, for example, cryptocurrency will replace um, currency to kind of create this worldwide um, currency that, that's um, blockchain, you know, nobody can control it. It's decentralized. That's your subjective reality. But looking at it objectively, you know, a lot of people have a lot of money invested in the stock market and in, you know, normal currency. Not a lot of people have money invested in crypto. You know, if you go out and ask 10 people how many of them have uh, money invested in cryptocurrency, maybe two out of 10, maybe one out of 10. And it depends on where you're asking, you know, it depends on if you're in small town, North Dakota, or if you're in California, you know, in Silicon Valley. These are just all different frames. And basically what I want to wrap this up with is just understanding, you know, what are some intersubjective realities that you haven't really realized are actual intersubjective realities you've just taken as truth. You've taken that at face value as fact. And realizing that these things are not fact. These things are really just intersubjective realities. For example, currency, religion, all these different concepts we talked about. And then analyze maybe some of your subjective realities that are flawed. You know, something that you can analyze a little bit more. You know, as, as Warren Buffett says, you know, every year 
your mind is like an attic. It's a, it gets cluttered. So you want to take one deeply held belief that you have, analyze it deeply, look at the fallacies, look at how you maybe came to adopt that belief. And then what you want to do is basically take that belief, flip it on its head and go, okay, how can I see this from a different angle? And how can I kind of cut out this belief, clean out the closet a little bit more because your mind truly is a closet, is, is a closet, is an attic. It gets, it gets messy and realizing these different concepts. So thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us review and subscribe. And until next time.